Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. Brad Swinehart's guest this episode helps financial professionals identify and accomplish their objectives without distraction. And that is the key word. Paul Kingsman shares relevant industry-proven tactics and ideas to reach the goals of you, the advisor, and your client. Brad, do you get distracted? Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I tell you Paul has experience as a prison chaplain too? (laughs) Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was checking my emails. So on this podcast before, we've talked quite a bit about staying away from the shiny object or staying the course or putting processes in place that allow you to see real growth. And it's not that pinball mentality. And with that, I couldn't be more excited to bring Paul on the show today and talk about how to stop being that distracted advisor. Because if there's one person that's really just honed in on this topic, it's Paul. So Paul, thank you for joining us today. That's a pleasure, Brad. I'm looking forward to our time together. All right. And let's just get this out of the way. Where's the accent from? The accent is from New Zealand. Often when I start saying the new part, people guess New Jersey or Boston, but is from New Zealand, very similar to the Australian accent. And when people ask me, hey, what the major difference is, I say about 10 IQ points and make sure there are, <laughs> there are no Australians anywhere near me. <laughs> well, you didn't say up or down, so I think you're totally fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm safe with that one. <laughs> and I just I have it in my brain since I was very young that anyone with an accent outside of the US, it just immediately makes you sound more intelligent. And if you don't believe me, just go listen to our rock stars talk versus a British rock star. And you just, <laughs> oh, they're so deep. Look at all these thoughts. And then you listen to ours and you're like, what is that guy talking about? Like, that's so lame. <laughs> Yeah, I I face those comments quite a bit. And I was happy to run with that and tried hard not to disprove what people were thinking with that. (laughs) Well, thanks for being on. We've had multiple discussions in the past. I think this is such a timely topic to dive into. And let's just take one step back before we really get into the meat of this is what are the downfalls of shiny object syndrome? What are the downfalls of becoming distracted in your practice? Yeah, that's a good place to start, Brad. And I've been reading a number of other commentaries out there regarding what people really think lead to distractions. And it gets a little bit easy to say, hey, there are internal things that we just innately struggle against. But there are some ways that we can combat this and coming to your question about why do we go through this? And especially in light of the Olympics we've just watched, one of the main advantages and just as an aside, I see these books out there that say the secrets of this, the, you know, the magic traits of these people. There are no magic traits. There are no secrets. Uh, in fact, just hearing Magic Johnson finish off this conference about the hard, diligent work he did, he highlighted that point. There are no secrets to this. One of the main things that athletes do, successful athletes do differently that anyone can do, Brad, is that they have a very clear picture of what the ideal outcome looks like. 
That picture is crystal clear about what it looks like and about, more importantly, I would say, how they're going to feel upon realizing that objective, having those choices available, having those kind of opportunities available. And we keep that front and center. And so regardless of the what other people are saying out there, that never gets in the way. It's always filtered from that end picture objective. Is this helping me or hindering me? And so when we look at our culture today with social media, and I contribute to this because I post on LinkedIn every week, but when we look at the amount of content that's out there, there are far more better ideas than we're ever going to have time to do. But this inability to, to have a very clear picture about the ideal outcome that we want and recognize, hey, I can get this, is one of the things that Olympians have. And it's a clear picture that athletes see week in, week out, or you know, in this case, every Olympic year. I mean, I was the same when I was swimming. I had a very clear picture. I'll never forget. I saw John Neighbor win the men's 100 and 200 meters backstroke at the Montreal 1976 Olympics. And it was when I saw that image that was my goal was to go to the Olympics. And that was when I was nine years old. And when you listen to the, these accounts from athletes, one of the things that you'll hear time and time and time again, yeah, when I was eight years old, when I was seven years old, I saw this gymnastics, I saw Nadia Comaneci, and that's the picture I had seared into my brain. And that's why I'm here today. And unfortunately, we capitulate too easily. So we get distracted because our end objective isn't crystal clear in our minds as far as what we're going to experience upon realizing it. I love that. <laughs> and that makes perfect sense. If you have a clear goal in mind, then you can decide whether you're on the path, off the path. What is something that is, is this going to help me get to the next step? Mm. And I think that that's very important to think on. One of the, just the mental strength that that I felt really helped me. One of the things that I've developed is just removing the option out of things. Mm. I'm big into fitness and you train, you know, five, six days a week, you eat a certain way, you have X, Y, and Z for lunch, breakfast, dinner. And it's hard to do if you have options, mm. right? If you have options of, should I go training today? Should I not? I don't, I don't really feel like it today. But if you step back a little bit further and you say, hey, do I have an option to get out of bed in the morning? Do I have an option to brush my teeth? Do I have options to, to take a shower? It's like, those are just things that you've trained yourself to do. That's right. right? Yeah. You don't dread, oh my gosh, I have to brush my teeth again today. <laughs> yes. Right? And like nobody yeah. does that. And if they do, then, you know, that's okay. Yeah. We don't need to be friends. Yeah. But if you can train your mind to say, you know what, it's not an option. This is just something that you do. Then it takes that struggle away to how do you stay on that path? Mm. Yeah, that's a great point, Brad, because for an Olympic athlete, you're right, this is not an option. And so it becomes automatic. And that point of automaticity is realized where then it just builds into a habit. Relative to advisors, one of the comments I make that often gets some interesting looks to begin with is that advisors have to keep a, a certain approach when they're looking to build their business. They have to keep a certain approach intention, two different perspectives intention. And when 
they have a definite number of clients they want. And this is one of the things where so many advisors are just airy-fairy. When I ask them, what is that ideal number of clients? I like that phrase too. I don't know that I've heard that before. Airy-fairy? Airy-fairy. It's vague. There are these things in their minds that sound good one week and then they'll change it the next week. Again, if you're going to the Olympics, you can't do that. Uh, these Olympics are rolling up and I'm swimming on, well, in my case, it was 1988, but my race was coming along September the 22nd, 1988, full stop, regardless of how I was feeling, regardless of how I was going to be prepared. And so when I'm talking with advisors about building their business, I use and after the ones have nailed down that ideal number of clients they're looking for, I use the terminology of being ruthlessly clinical, yet wonderfully relational. And having those two approaches in tension. And so the ruthlessly clinical, that's, so to speak, a back office emotion that's kept buried down inside. But you know that number of people. If I'm after 120 people, I want to build this business over four years. I'm looking for 120 clients looking like this. I'm chasing 30 clients a year. That's it. And so when you get into those discussions with people, is this person going to be a right person to bring on? You are weighing that person up ruthlessly clinically. And that doesn't mean you're rude to them should they not be an ideal client. And oftentimes advisors say, well, you know, based upon assets, that's a little mean. It's not so much based upon the assets, Brad, it's based upon that prospect's attitude. But once you've identified one, it's then being wonderfully relational. And I use this example, funny, at this conference last week in a small group, we just had a break-off group from a breakout after I'd finished speaking. And I was telling them, look, the ruthlessly clinical, like I said, that's inward, an inward approach. If you asked anybody in New Zealand swimming, mention my name down there, they're going to say, hey, he's a nice guy, he's a friendly guy, he's a wonderful guy. And I was, I mean, I had a lot of friends, but if you were training in my lane, you had one of three options. You stayed ahead of me, you stayed behind me, you kept out of our way, or I was going to go over you. The job had to be done. And again, if you're in this lane saying that you want to be an Olympian, that you're serious about going and swimming as best as you can on that day and comparing it to the greatest in the world, my coach and I were very, very clear. This is the expectation. And so often in our, in our culture today, people are, again, a little loose on what the end goal is. And therefore, if you're loose on the end goal, how are you going to be clear on the steps necessary to take? And so they get distracted. So it's anything that comes along on social media that sounds like it might be relevant or helpful or have a modicum of legitimacy to it. They've got no filter, so they're just going to listen to that and wonder where the time went. And so, again, for the athlete, we know there's a finite timeline here, and we're going to push and push hard because we know we can get there. So that's just some thinking that if you carry that into the space as an advisor, chances are you're going to succeed way sooner. Well, I think, too, that you can, you know, it's been said by smarter people than me, but you can only manage to what you can measure. And if you don't have that clear goal in mind, you don't have a that true north, if you will, mm. that you're not going to be able to break those goals down into key performance indicators. And you're not going to be able to take the real step and to figure out what inputs you need to get to those goals. Mm. And if you don't have that clear goal and you don't know what you're shooting for, 
then yeah, all the inputs are going to be all over the place. You're not going to be a sniper taking one shot. You're going to be shotgunning all over. You're going to be running all over the place. Yeah. And you're not going to really measure success and you're not going to be able to manage to it without knowing exactly where you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And when you see successful people, they're not like to your point about scattergun approach, successful people are the ones who are measuring a, a definite number of metrics. They've done the work, they've sat back and done the research that they've identified. These are the five to eight things we need to track relentlessly. And the problem, Brad, we're coming back to distractions. The problem is many of the suggestions available through LinkedIn and in our channel and our lane as advisors have legitimacy. They're not wrong. And coming back to the Olympic buildup that we did in 1988, we had four key things that we were focusing on. That, as I tell advisors, it didn't mean that the number five thing that some people suggested to us was wrong, but for us, it just wasn't one of these four. These four were it. That fifth thing may have made total sense for another swimmer and would have applied to many other swimmers. But for us, we've identified these are the four we're going to be measuring constantly. But then we went the next step to say, yeah, and number five, six, seven, and eight ideas that people suggest are a waste of time. Even though they were good, we had to then come full circle and identify that's a waste of time when we're just not getting swept up on this. And so it's coming back to those core competencies and then getting excited about doing it over and over and over again. And this is another problem we face with social media. We think it's, it's boring to be mundane. But you imagine, as I've said to advisors, you imagine a heart surgeon coming in and saying, hey, guess what? You are my thousandth heart surgery tomorrow, and I'm going to do it completely differently, and I'm going to blindfold myself because <laughs> we're celebrating. I, mean, I think the, I'm going to take out your spleen instead. Exactly, you know what? I want to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, if a surgeon came in and said that, the first thing we'd say to him is, just do what you've done for the last 999. And yet as advisors, we don't think like that. We want to keep trying to tweak and fine tune and modify instead of, hey, these are the four things we've got to master and let's look at it over 90 days and let's review it at 90 days and the 180 days. Let's keep focused on what it is we need to keep executing. And all of a sudden, people get it, people who are succeeding doing this, they get excited. And it's just like, I don't believe this. I'm just doing the same thing we did three months ago. Yeah, but you've spent 90 days pursuing excellence in it. And now you're delivering it flawlessly. And hey, presto, look at the results. And yes, then they realize, wow. There is no overnight sensation. It's just diligent, focused effort. What do they say? It's not the man. You don't fear the man who has practiced a thousand kicks. You fear the man that's practiced one kick a thousand times. Yeah, great point. My weight training coach, I'll never forget what he used to say to me. He would always say he would far rather lift against a weightlifter with 10 times his ability that didn't think he had a chance than a weightlifter with half his ability who thought he was in with a shot and had done the right work. He said, those were the dangerous guys because they'll pull stuff out of anywhere and they'll get the job done. And it's so true. I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. true in all walks of life. So how do you balance the need, right? Because I think a lot of advisors have this need to be hands-on, the need to tinker maybe is a good word mm -hmm. for it. 
Yeah. But the need to tweak, the need to find the next best thing. You know, a lot of them have that entrepreneurial spirit where they want that next best thing. How do you balance the need for that and the the staying the course? Yeah, that's a tough one, especially like you mentioned with that entrepreneurial nature. And but again, when you come back to some of the greatest entrepreneurs, you know, a guy like Steve Jobs, for instance, again, very focused on achieving and completing what's immediately in front of them. It, regardless of what people were saying, it was again focusing on that one thing at hand. And I, I think advisors have got to ask themselves this, and you're right to raise the, the question. Many get into this industry from the entrepreneurial perspective. It's not a pushback, but one of the gripes, I guess you could say, or yeah, one of the gripes I have about our industry is the issue of an advisor being able to get Series 7 license, state licensed, insurance license with about six months of experience and literally then be seated across the table from a pre-retiree couple dispensing advice to them and thinking that he's going to do it his way or she's going to tell him what she believes. You can't do that as a surgeon. You're going to spend another six years in residency. You can't do that as a dentist. You're going to spend an, another load of money going through the last four years of dental college, learning about processes and learning about what you need to do when you get out of the gate. Now, these people are, are again, often entrepreneurial as well, but they've done enough grunt work to understand, I need a process. I need a system. And so when those dentists come and they open up that surgery, they have a finite number of chairs, they have a couple of hygienists, and then they're doing the work. There's a capacity issue they know they have. They have a certain number of things, certain number of appointments, fill me up, and that's it. So they're very, very specific, and they hem themselves in into what they need to execute. So to your point about the entrepreneurial person looking again for that bright, shiny object, especially in our industry like heart surgery, they're dealing with people and they're rendering advice where sometimes those people don't get to do this a second time around. Uh, you mess somebody up regarding when to tap social security, they don't get a second bite at this and they've got to make do with what you've advised them. So again, I'm all for bringing in even more oversight for people who are kind of getting under the fence with some of their approaches and understanding, just like piloting, advisors are very quick to use the pilot analogy, but this is serious business. And so you've got to realize this and take the time to know what you don't know. And like you said, outsource that and focus in on the longer term for how you're going to help people. I think we see it a lot at White Glove, just as far as marketing methods, right? That advisors are always looking for that next hot thing, that next, what's going to bring in better quality? What can I do less work? How can I get the person more warmed up, ready to meet me? Mm. And it all just boils down to the person that you're talking to, do they know, like, and trust you? And there's no secret to getting that. Right. First, you have to be a good professional, right? You have to be credible. And the second is, you know, you have to get out there and, and help people. Yeah. And I think that is one of the things that, that we see here always, always works is your seminars or webinars or even podcasting or social media. Like if you're leading with a, a value prop, if you're leading with helping people, mm-hmm. that not everyone's going to be your client, but 
that's the quickest and fastest and most reliable way to be known, liked, and, and build trust. Yeah. Yeah, and that that you're right on with that, Brad, for a couple of reasons. It's a numbers game. And I don't mean that to oversimplify our industry, but if we're saying, hey, we're looking to get 120 of the right type of people on this bus, it's a numbers game. So therefore, how many people can I get in front of to hear me? And this is where you guys at White Glove are a huge help for advisors getting in front of people to be seen and heard, even if they're looking to set up a seminar and they have a guest speaker. And again, coming from this meeting last week, one of the things that I mentioned to advisors that it first takes them back, but then they come up afterwards and say, that's right on and I needed to hear that. One of the things I tell advisors, they might have their CHFC, first and foremost, they are professional speakers. They are looking to evoke passion in a listener such that that listener gives them money and follows their advice and builds a relationship. But to start with, the way to do that is for them to be heard. I get it. I understand how the Facebook leads work. I understand how all of the LinkedIn leads work, all of that kind of stuff. But I have yet to hear someone who's tapped on an advisor's door and said, I went through the funnel. I went through all the clicks and I'm here to transfer all my assets to you. How do I do that without speaking? (laughs) And and yet it's presented out there like it happens. And that never happens. Advisors have got to learn they are professional speakers. Here's my credit card. What am I buying? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you think about that and the platform that you're offering there at White Glove, advisors, again, have got to see they are professional communicators. And so they should be taking advantage of this. And I know some out there might be saying, hey, I never got into this industry to be a professional speaker. The thought of speaking to large groups has me knocking at the knees. But again, think of psychiatrists and think of counselors. These are people who meet one-on-one with people, but they're professionals who expect people to listen to them, follow their advice, and pay them for doing that and build a relationship. And so again, even if you're someone who's learning and getting more comfortable being a speaker, set up a situation where you can invite professionals or somebody in that particular space to be the main speaker, but you can always hop up, you're always finishing off that event, mentioning hey, you've just heard Warren Buffett speak on investing. I couldn't have said it better myself. And then immediately what you've just done indirectly is put yourself on the same level as Warren Buffett. Because all you have to say when you follow someone like that is, I agreed with every word he said. Wasn't he a fantastic speaker coming along? (laughs) So, you know, there are ways to get more confident and competent at this. And the services and the platform that that you've got there is definitely one of them where advisors can get in front of people, obviously aware of the social distancing setup, but get in front of people and be heard. And that's a big first step, Brad, for a lot of people. And I think that sometimes we over-fantasize how terrible it is. I started with White Glove and got thrown up on the stage a few times way, way back in its infancy. Mm. Right. And now I love it. I probably did 80 webinars last year and had to learn how to do that too. And I hated it. The first couple of ones I did, I said, this is awful. I can't connect with my audience. I don't know if anybody's smiling or laughing at my terrible jokes or if they're all playing Tetris, you know, on the other screen. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, you just adapt and you get used to it and you just do it more and more and more. And a lot of times when I'm working with an advisor or a group for the first time, I'll just let them know that, you know, if you're interested in trying a seminar, yeah, then that's what you want to base the success or failure of whether you're using White Glove or any other marketing company or event coordinating company out there. But don't do one. It's probably not worth your time if you're going to do one and then try to analyze the results on that. Do yeah. three, four, or five. And the data we have shows that. Advisors that do four events with us stay with us for years and years and years. Yeah. And the advisors that do one, well, about half of them stay, half of them don't. So yeah. it's back to that pick a lane. You know, like yeah. you were saying earlier, pick a lane and then that's where you're going to go if you, you're going forward. And People get out of your way, right? And you have an Olympic medal, right? We didn't even mention that earlier. How heavy is that thing? So it's funny you mentioned that. So you get you, it's about the weight of a cell phone, but it's funny you mention it because I'll never forget when we were up on the metal dais and you're pretty tired and there's a lot of emotion going through. And I never forget, I stood up and they put the metal on me and it's just like, this is heavy. This feels quite weighty right. um, and you really do feel like, ah, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's then, and these ones in Tokyo are, are bigger than what we got in Seoul. So it's like each Olympics, I don't know if each country tries to outdo the last one, but they're getting pretty sizable out there. You're going to be looking like Flava Flav here in the next couple, <laughs> next yeah, couple of right. months, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at Phelps and you see these photos of all his medals and it's just amazing. I'd love to know what the weight of all of those are around his neck. Oh, yeah. That's you got to be pretty big. <laughs> it probably won't go swimming with all of them on, right? Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> but you made a point, Brad, about doing it over and over. One of the things I mentioned to advisors regarding language is when you look at the Academy Awards and when you think about how actors deliver lines, because advisors will often say, well, it's just going to sound canned if I get up and do a presentation. It will if you don't practice it. But you look at the Academy Awards and we give great awards and accolades to these actors. They didn't even write the words they said, but they deliver them for the most part, but they deliver them with such emotion. They deliver every word so flawlessly that it moves us. And what do we do? We buy the DVD or we download the thing and we watch it over and over and over again. We know the words that are coming. And so to your point about, you know, advisors who just do this once or twice and think, you know what, this isn't working. You imagine if all the actors did that. You imagine if at take 20, they said, you know what, I'm just done with making this movie. They wouldn't get anywhere. So, yeah, it's, uh, you got the platform there for sure where it's just, hey, learn and get comfortable with the scripting. And so they say it like it's the first time every single time. And, you know, you mentioned about the, the Olympians winning those medals. They, we do the same things over and over and over again. So, yeah, I just want to you know, encourage advisors just to, to settle in and pick a lane and say, okay, this is what I want to master and keep going at it. And that's just fantastic. And, and I do. I agree with everything you said. And I couldn't have said it better myself, right? <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. Perfect. So, Thank you so much for your time today, Paul. This has been super interesting. I love your perspective on all this. If we have one takeaway for the advisors listening today, one action item, maybe they heard something here and they said, you know what, I tend to get distracted as well. What would be that key first step to take 
to getting rid of that shiny object syndrome and no longer being a distracted advisor? Fall in love with the result that you believe you can achieve. And when we think about falling in love with someone, it takes time and having that person first and foremost in our mind. And so fall in love with that result that you believe that you can get. Um, Don't hear me wrong. This isn't kind of that, hey, just dream it and manifest it and it will come because that's why books like The Secret make millions of dollars because they make it sound easy. And sorry to bag the secret, but any opportunity I'll get, I'll let people know that is the emperor has no clothes on because it's going to take work. But first comes that picture. This is what it will feel like. And these are the choices I'll have upon achieving and attaining that. Because that's when it might be a month or two longer or a year or two longer. It doesn't matter. That's what I want. And that's what I can get. So fall in love with that picture. And yes, that's the first one. And then come the relevant steps to, okay, how do we get there? Because that's all any Olympian does. It's no rocket science. It's no secrets or anything like that. They've got a very clear vision about what success looks like. And they're just going to now pursue that relentlessly. Clear vision and hard work. Right. Yeah. That's that's the recipe of success. Absolutely. Diligent work. When I'm talking with advisors that talk a lot about hard work, I love using the word diligent work because you can work hard at the wrong stuff. But when you work, I like that. Yeah. When you work diligently, that's when you see, ah, that was diligent effort. So anyway, that's yes. Do that and see what happens. Even better. Clear picture and diligent work. I love that, Paul. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Awesome stuff. It's been a pleasure, Brad. It's enjoying it's a fun time sharing with you. Always. And that was a seriously focused episode, gentlemen. No distractions here. Thank you. Paul Kingsman with Brad Swinehart, your host of Be Advised Leading with Value. Follow Brad's podcast to get the latest show. Of course, share, comment, and we hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Mike Love. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 